Welcome to the Riveting Rosies podcast, a space to celebrate the accomplishments of female entrepreneurs and uncover the ins and outs of what it's really like to be your own boss. I'm your host, Francesca, and I'm so excited to be here with you and share the stories of some badass women. All right. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So I'm going to start by letting you introduce yourself and briefly talk about the kind of work that you do. Great. My name is Maisha Battle, and I am a certified sex coach based in San Francisco, California. My practice is primarily focused on helping people to prioritize their sex and dating lives to have better sex and better lives. Um, That's my motto, better sex, better life. Um, I came to this work fairly early in my life, but only recently, as of 2016, opened my private practice where I see clients, well, virtually only now, but um, (laughs) historically uh, in person in downtown San Francisco. And, you know, it's it's been a pleasure to uh, be able to offer teleservices um, all over the world to help people focus on their sex and dating lives. Yeah, definitely. So um, if you wouldn't mind um, just talking a little bit about your educational background um, and how you kind of got started with what you do now. Yes, I got started in the world of sex um, fairly early as a peer advocate in my middle school in Louisiana. And um, I had no idea that that would influence me later on in life, but through many different twists and turns in my career path and development, uh, I just kept coming back to wanting to talk to people about their sexuality, really recognizing that sexuality is often an overlooked piece of our holistic wellness. And I also was able to see that if you increase your satisfaction in your sex life it has such a transformative property for the rest of your life and i was able to see that and devote studies to that at san francisco state where i focused on public health and specifically uh, sexual health i went on to get a certification in gender and sexuality at the university of amsterdam for a semester abroad And then uh, many, many years later, I got my master's degree in psychology from the New School uh, in New York City. And there I focused in on feminist psychology and looking at how can we use clinical interventions that are informed by feminist theory. Um, From there, I was certified through Sex Coach U, which is an online program for um, certifying clinical sexologists. So yeah, a lot of different uh, pieces to my education and background. I think if you do a survey of sex coaches will come from any number of backgrounds, but that's my kind of cobbled together education mm-hmm. <laughs> to try to get me to this point. Yeah, definitely. So what made you decide um, that you wanted to take that into a professional setting and start working with clients? 
Well, in my earlier 30s, um, I was basically on track to become C-suite at a nonprofit organization in New York. Mm -hmm. And I was probably, you know, Saturn return, sort of uh, evaluating, like, is this really where I want my career to go? Um, Mm -hmm. And just for context, that nonprofit organization had nothing to do with sexual health or health at all. Um, It was a cultural exchange nonprofit, which I loved and I loved the people I worked with, but I just felt kind of boxed in by mm-hmm. what I was able to do in that role. And I just felt a kind of larger calling or that there was something in me that wanted more. So we actually had hired someone to work with the organization who was um, a corporate coach, a life coach. And she and I developed a friendship. We would have lunch every once in a while. And she offered to um, provide me some counseling during a time when I was like very, very confused about my next steps. Mm-hmm. And in that conversation, she just asked me, you know, what did you do when you were younger that you thought, wow, this is great. I would love to do this all the time. And I was like, honestly, it was back when I was a peer counselor and, you know, just talking to my peers about their like dating lives and their like early stage sex lives. And she was like, that's what you need to do. So I could not at that point figure out how to get from the, you know, job that I had to becoming a sex coach. Like I couldn't just leave my Mm -hmm. job and be like, I'm a sex coach, everybody. (laughs) Um, So I knew that I needed to go back to school and my intent was to become a sex therapist um, or to investigate whether sex therapy was the right choice for me. And I decided that um, ultimately having my master's in psychology and combining that with a training program that allowed me to directly open a clinical practice, um, mm-hmm. that was the best choice for my career path. Yeah. Awesome. So what was the process like of like starting up your own business and having to market yourself to attract clients? Very hard. Very, very hard. And anybody who tells you differently, specifically if they are someone who's in a niche role like sex coach, Mm -hmm. is probably like experiencing some distance from it. Like um, I remember recently I was talking to my mom about something and she goes, well, it's kind of like having a kid you know, the farther away from it you are, you you can only remember the fond memories. You don't remember <laughs> all the pain and the suffering. So for me, it feels very fresh, mm-hmm. particularly because next February will be my five-year anniversary of being a solopreneur. And I have gone through, I basically have molted during this time. I have undergone so much transformation and change in in pretty much every aspect of my life. It's not just career, it was relationship, it was housing, it was, you know, financial. It mm-hmm. it touched every single part of me. Friendships changed and um you know, it's 
it's really difficult to step out on your own. And every single time that I uh, go back to a quote unquote regular job for like safety or security, I know more and more that it's not for me. So it's the hardest thing I think I've ever done. And it's the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, definitely. So how did you approach um, like the need to attract clients? I know a lot of people nowadays tend to kind of veer towards social media just because it's so easy to reach such a large number of people. So what was your um, approach for that? Yeah, I think um, those of us who work in sexology have the unique challenge of Um, You can't just hang up your shingle and say, hey, ready for business. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in the early stages, I think even though I had a podcast called Down for Whatever that I started in grad school and people were listening and they were actually also going on this journey of me going through grad school and going through my sex coach certification with me. So I had people who knew that I was open for business, but I don't think anybody knew. And I don't think I had fully fleshed out what that would look like and how to market it. Right. Um, so in the early stages, it was people who were curious about me through the podcast and people who were looking for sexual entertainment. Um, and that was really hard for me because, you know, you work so hard and you, you know, pay for this extravagant education. And Mm -hmm. then people are like, I just want to, you know, like learn how to masturbate. Can you like (laughs) join me on Skype and show me how? Um, And that is so disheartening and discouraging in the early stages. Um, And I'm sure this happens to some extent to other female business owners with people Mm -hmm. who are just who approach you in the early stages because maybe they sense that you aren't confident in what you're offering yet. Right. Um, So very quickly I recognized that I needed to align myself with brands that already had a solid reputation in health and wellness because my background was in health because I envisioned that my service would be aligned with health services. Mm -hmm. Um, And that worked really well for me. I think that finding brands that I respected, even brands that were up and coming and, you know, new to the space, if I liked what they were doing, I wanted to, you know, be featured in their newsletter or be, you know, spotlighted on their Instagram. And I felt that that was a really smart way to boost my credibility as someone who was an expert in sex, not someone who was just like, oh, you're a sex coach, like, what are you going to do? Like, Mm -hmm. watch us have sex. I'm like, if I am associated with this bigger brand that you already know and trust, then you probably are thinking beyond, oh, this is a person who, you know, is maybe offering a service that isn't for me. Mm -hmm. I was trying to make sure that people understood that I was um, offering a service that literally anybody who was curious about having better sex could avail themselves of. Definitely. 
So I know some um, coaches and just like people in general who focus on sex and dating or sexual health sometimes face some hurdles on social media because those platforms often just think the word sex is inherently inappropriate. So what has your experience been like on that end? Well, my company name (laughs) that is my like registered LLC is Sex for Life LLC. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that would fly, um, but it did. (laughs) So, I mean, my business is registered with sex in the title. Um, My, my, I was really inspired by Ann Friedman, who got a business credit card that her LLC is Lady Swagger. And on her, um, her corporate or like her, her company credit card, it says Lady Swagger Inc. (laughs) And I was like, I want sex for life LLC on my business (laughs) card, which I, which I do. Um, and I love using that because people all like buy a sandwich or something for a lunch meeting and people are like, what is this? <laughs> um, but to get back to your earlier question, I haven't had um, too many hurdles with content being blocked. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I think that for me, I have found a way <laughs> to be tongue in cheek with innuendo. Um, and and the, the thing that I think got me the most followers on my own was a series that I was doing, Would You Rather Wednesday. And the images that I would use were emojis. Mm -hmm. So I was getting creative with like how I was using those emojis, but, and it was very like suggestive, but then in the text, I would ask a question um, in my stories of, would you rather this or would you rather that? And I think people gravitated towards that because it made the content accessible and I wasn't being explicit. You're right. There's definitely um, bots that troll uh, through Facebook and Instagram and will block content. But I've, I have made a pretty conscious decision as a business owner to err on the side of like, hey, let's make this accessible, fun, and easy, and not um, too explicit. And, you know, kind of hint at the things that I want to talk about without... Uh, having a sort of like exposition on like how to do certain sex acts or, you know, and I think that's where people do run into trouble. I mean, even, even companies that I know who are sexual wellness brands who, you know, have a product that they sell for sexual wellness. I know so many companies that have gone through the experience of having their ads blocked. I don't use paid advertising. That's I attempted to do that on Facebook and I think got blocked and I was like, okay, screw this. I'm not <laughs> interested. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't, I don't want the business that it would give me, you know, like it's not right. worth the hassle of me trying to make this something that Facebook would, would approve. And yep. to be honest, I don't engage with Facebook all that often. I really do prefer Instagram. I know they're one and the same basically now, but <laughs> I think there's a lot more freedom for me as a sex coach, at least. And through the efforts of a lot of very brave people, like things have gotten a little better. They're, they're still not great, but you know, I yeah. see censored material all the time, but um, I haven't personally faced that just because of my position as a my particular position as a business owner and what I choose to present. Right. Yeah. So moving a little bit more towards the work that you actually do with clients, what are some of the things that you would um, typically work with clients on? 
Yeah, I love working with clients who are dating. Um, and that's something that I think not all sex coaches handle, but I love it. I love getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, what is the goal of your, your dating? You know, what do you want to achieve from this? And who do you want to attract? And I work with my clients to craft their dating profiles around that to empower them to ask for what they really want instead of, you know, trying to put their best face forward. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, you can be whoever you want to be and ask for whatever you want to ask. Um, so that's a really fun process for me. I also work with clients who um, are experiencing low desire or mismatch desire in partnership. Um, I have a lot of clients where that is a primary issue or concern. Um, I work with a lot of women in particular who recognize that their sexuality has a lot of power, but are unable to see a clear path on how to access that. And sometimes there's a lot of fear and shame and guilt associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work together to unpack that and to clear any roadblocks that they have. Um, I have couples that I've worked with who are opening up their relationships. I've had couples who are consciously uncoupling and trying to figure out what their next steps in their their individual dating lives will, will be. Any number of things. Mm-hmm. I have kinky clients. I have... Um, clients who are coming to terms with their sexual identities. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm sure, you know, like your coaching sessions obviously look different um, for the type of person that you're working with or, you know, like whether it's an individual or a couple. Um, But what would you say like a typical coaching session would look like? Yeah. So my clients work with me on either a three month or a six month basis um, so the structure is is pretty similar across issues. So at the beginning of our work, they do a sexual history uh, and assessment for me. So they're kind of looking back on their previous sexual self, which a lot of us don't give ourselves the time or the space or even know the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. So for some people that even that first intake process is like, whoa, <laughs> okay, <laughs> here we go. Um, and, you know, it can be quite moving for people. It can be a struggle for people. And I'm there to sort of help them work through that. And then we move on to figuring out what's going on in the present moment that we can start to um, look at strategically and look at what is the goal from here. And uh, what I love about coaching is that it is so co-creative and it is so proactive. A lot of my clients sort of identify as type A or, you know, like very um, analytical and they like to get assignments to make them feel like they're working towards something. Mm -hmm. And so each uh, session is generative, meaning I will come up with or Sometimes my client will be like, you know, I've always wanted to do this, but I've never done it. And I'm like, great, that's your homework. Um, So it's really my job to sort of create a space to explore these things and say, no, you're right. What you think that you want to do is the right next step Mm -hmm. because it's going to get you closer to that goal. Mm -hmm. And then we always have a closing call at the end to sort of touch base. And whether it's three months or six months, we you know, see, is, is there anything else that's come up or, 
have you achieved everything or nothing or, you know, how do you feel? Um, and then decide whether or not we want to continue working together. Yeah. So um, dealing with such a intimate topic, I imagine that, you know, like sometimes, although like obviously clients come to you because they want to work with you, there might be some things where um, they're feeling like uncomfortable talking about, or maybe there's something that was traumatic in the past for them that, you know, was hard to um, get past. So on your end, how do you deal with kind of creating an environment where your clients feel comfortable talking about that sort of stuff? I think it's me. <laughs> I think <laughs> I am the thing that makes them feel comfortable because I have been talking about issues of gender and sexuality and identity for so long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, beyond sex coaching training and beyond my master's training, just I am someone who has been facilitating conversations about sex and relationships in my personal life since I don't know when. Um, it's something that I naturally have a lot of comfort around. And I think one of the things that is missing from our cultural dialogue is just more people like me who are just open to mm -hmm. the conversation and will not shut it down, who are genuinely curious about why people think and feel the way they do about their own sexuality. And I think that that is giving people permission to ask themselves the questions as well. So if someone says like, I think, you know, I'm just more aggressive in bed. I'm like, cool. Okay. What does that look like? <laughs> and mm -hmm. they're like, oh yeah, I guess it looks like me making the first move and like here's where it's problematic for me because I feel this way about it and I'm like oh that's interesting um because a lot of people who have that um uh, you know sexual proclivity also experience that you know just it's it's a combination of being very very well educated in the field and also having a natural ability to hold the space for people to get curious about themselves. And, you know, that's, that's why I do the work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned before that before, um, when you were in grad school, you had started your podcast. Um, and then obviously down the line, you also started working with clients and you have a blog that you keep up with too. So how do you, um, you know, like manage balancing all of those while still making time for your own life outside of work? It's difficult. And I think over the course of the business, I've had to figure out how to implement boundaries and um, recognize that saying yes to everything isn't always to my advantage. I think in the early stages, I was saying yes to everything because I just honestly didn't know what was right for me. Mm -hmm. And that was right. That was the right decision to say yes, because I didn't know. And it was a period of learning and growth. And I still am in a period of learning and growth, but I feel that I'm a little bit more discerning with my yes. And that has felt really empowering. I think partly a lot of new business owners say yes all the time because frankly we need the money mm -hmm. we need any sort of revenue stream possible to ensure that the business survives and thrives and once you become a little more comfortable you can 
evaluate things and start to um, ease up or farm things out, especially, you know, if you have the financial means to hire a team, that's great. That's one of my goals, particularly for my blog. Um, because honestly, it's not something I keep up. <laughs> if you look at the <laughs> dates on the blog, like it's all over the place. And I'm the type of person who, if I feel really inspired to write on the blog, if I feel that there's something really timely that I'm passionate about, I feel like that's the best writing for me. Mm-hmm. But I got grant funding to do an SEO program and I learned how to craft my pieces using, you know, uh, best practices in SEO. But I also learned that I don't want to do that. <laughs> like I, I just don't want to spend my time doing that. So um, I have been in touch with companies that do that for practitioners. And I think that if, there's an opportunity for you to lean on other people's talents and skills and abilities um, as a means to grow your business. When you have the financial means, it's great. And it also helps you to create some boundaries around um, what your work life balance looks like. Yeah, definitely. So what would you say has been the most important thing that you've been able to learn about yourself since starting your business? That's a great question. I think the most important thing that I have learned about myself is how strong and resilient I am. And when I say that, I mean, when I first opened my business, I was partnered. I, I would, I'll I'll say we experienced infidelity and I left that relationship, lived with family was making zero dollars, <laughs> um, you know, still just trying to figure out how to make this dream happen. In that time, I think I've probably had 10 to 12 other jobs, and I'm not exaggerating, um, in support of this goal, this mm-hmm. dream of being a self-sustaining business owner. And I've made sacrifices. I have been in incredibly dark places. I've had the love and support of my friends and my family to bolster me and to remind me that for all the hustle things that I was doing that seemed unrelated, they were actually in support of this larger goal. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, I feel incredibly supported Um, both financially and, you know, with the partner that I'm with now and the living situation I have now, like it's, it's so, it can be so hard. It's not hard for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But I would say that for, for anyone stepping out on their own, there are going to be challenges um, throughout the process. And you, develop this resiliency if you don't already have it in you to bounce back and to recognize that it's all part of your story and it's all valuable and it's all useful and it's all in the interest of you being a better business owner. Definitely. So what advice do you have for anyone who's just starting out a business? Um, And then maybe more specifically, someone who is going into the field of, you know, like sex and dating or sexual health. I would say 
two things. Number one, compare and despair. Um, this is your business and you get to do it how you want. So while it is helpful to look to others for models of how to do this, ultimately at the end of the day, you're building something that should make you proud and should help you create the life that you want. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I would like to work two days a week because I, I want to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what I want. And I want to be a homeowner. And so in order to do that, I have to make very strategic business choices. And those might not be goals that, excuse me, that other people have, mm -hmm. but you have to get really clear about what you want, because I guarantee you that the people who have the, all the followers that you think you need to be successful and the life that you think you want, they have struggles too. And they also have different goals. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to keep the comparison as to a minimum as you can and see it more as inspiration. I'm inspired by this person because they have what I think is a successful business. Never mind what they might have in their bank account. It might be very little, but they <laughs> might just do a very good job of, you know, showing um, the life that they're aspiring to. Right. So keep that in mind that a lot of times we're, we're projecting the life that we want others to think we have because we want that life mm -hmm. and everything that we do is in service of that. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is to really practice your patience. And it's something that I struggle with. Uh, uh, periodically, sometimes I have patience for the calm, for the times when I'm not getting a lot of external validation or client inquiries coming in mm -hmm. or um, requests from companies to have me do workshops. Sometimes there's a big lull and it's hard to exist in that space, but cultivating a good practice of patience can go very, very far. Um, and what that looks like is meditation. It looks like taking care of yourself. It means having faith that despite the calm now, there will be activity in the future. Um, and that's really hard to mm -hmm. sink into when the phone's not ringing and the emails aren't coming in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's a practice of patience and faith. Definitely. Well, that is all that I have for you today. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Riveting Rosies podcast. A new episode is released every Wednesday, so don't forget to subscribe. I would love if you left a review to tell me what you liked about this episode or if you have any suggestions about who you want to hear on the podcast in the future. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at rivetingrosies.podcast to get updated when new episodes are released and to find out about upcoming guests. Thanks again for tuning in and I hope you'll join me for next week's episode.